that's the cool thing about Urbana Champagne is the whole idea of bands and the whole, whole idea of an identity. And like, I remember seeing a Dirty Feathers show at a house. It was just the nastiest, ugh, amazing. Like, like, you can't pretend that. Just like the groove was so saggy and like, yo, it was so killing. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in a blue box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is Also Banned podcast. Today, I have Reginald Chapman, who you may know from such bands as UTV Chamber, Trio of Justice, No BS Brass, Foxygen, Pressure Fit, Lucky Chops, and you may also remember him performing in uh, such bands as Rebecca Rigo and The Trainman and playing with and recording with Elsinore as well as Church Booty, which is now referred to as Faye Ray. Reginald, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Today, we'll be listening to your song, Hoodie, from the album Prototype. And so, without further ado, here's the song. Thank you. 
I guess since this is an instrumental piece, uh, my usual favorite question to ask, which is what came first, the lyrics or the music, is probably kind okay. of moot. So yeah, there's no lyrics. <laughs> so I mean, there were kind of some lyrics, but the, it was oh. more just like a feeling. You know what I mean? It came out on this this album, No BS album, and self titled in like 2008. So that's a long time ago. It, it like built this way up into being like you know, I guess famous and to the point where like I, I got a, a placement on the TV show Empire. Oh, and man. So, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The placement was nice. You know, yeah. it's, it's really cool. So it was so, that version that was on. No, or the uh, one that from version. Proto- that was the that was. Oh, okay. was from the prototype version. I wrote it, and to be honest, I think it was UTV Chamber was a, a band that I started a, a long time ago, and we put an album out. And I think there's, it's like on the dark web somewhere. It's like buried. You have to do some web archaeology. There was a period of my life, uh, very similar to this period of everyone's life, where I was just not really going anywhere. I was just in the house and just kind of going through like one of those like quarter life crisis, like we all do, you know, or some of us do. And trying to figure this stuff out. You know, my parents had cut me off because I decided not to go to school. They were like, all right, well, if you're not going to go to school, then you're just going to have to figure this thing out. I was just like making music with my friends and not really making much income in, in Richmond, Virginia. It was kind of one of those like bittersweet songs. Kind of on the, the precipice of like, what if this thing goes terrible? And I just like completely botched this whole life thing. Slash, there's still hope and let me do something. You know what I mean? It's just kind yeah. of one of those like montage songs of young uh, fighting hope <laughs> yeah well that's interesting so um why the title hoodie i mean maybe let's go oh. to like the easiest part <laughs> oh no it's so funny because i think some people thought that i named it hoodie this was before all the like trayvon martin and all oh. that stuff you know what i mean so this has not there was nothing political about it in a in a really roundabout way you know i happen to be an african-american male and i happen to like to wear hoodies <laughs> yeah and then, you know what i mean but to be honest i really love hoodies and and I think it was one of those things where, where it was like, what should we call it? It's like, what do you really like? I was like, man, I really like hoodies. We should call it hoodie. Yeah, it's nothing nothing deep about that, to be honest. I often wonder what is the thinking behind, you know, giving a title to something that is instrumental? Like, did you title it that before you started writing it or it was after you had written it? Oh, yeah, it's so funny. Man, a lot of the the songs that I've ever written, the name usually comes afterwards. Like this, I wrote the song Cinnamon Girl. Turns out to be a famous song by someone else, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is probably terrible <laughs> for BMI stuff. You know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, it was actually called, I'm not going to curse on this one just because I have a lot of no young, young fans, but it was called Cinnamon Bee. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't name it that though. Someone else named it. We were playing it in this brass band, Yo Mama's Brass Band, and someone okay. else named it that. And I was just like young and like, all right, sure, all right, let's call it that. I don't really care. It's a cool song as long as we play our song. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. These days, I'm writing stuff, and everything's just more intentional. You know, not to say it's not uh-huh. coming out of my experiences, but these days I'm like really squeezing the well dry as far as coming up with materials and stuff. And so sometimes I will name a song like in its earlier stages. I don't know. There's that connection between that sort of analytical brain, your verbal mind, and then just your feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I have a hard time, you know, I have a friend who wanted to uh, like come up with a a sort of prompt to write towards. And like, if I'm not feeling that prompt naturally, if that's not just what's pouring out of me, I don't really care <laughs> yeah yeah well and so <laughs> it's all about the uh the emotion of the the song and, and all of that stuff and whatever like the shapes and colors and all of that stuff and huh. then the, the name of the song was just later yeah i find it interesting i feel like jazz it's the perfect blend of like emotional and analytical all at once just yeah. i'm curious for for you what started this song do you usually just have like a melody or does it does it usually come out when you're playing on your instrument um or oh, well, so yeah. f- this one was a, a keyboard song like i you know uh, i have what they call um composer's chops or arranger's chops to where i can play enough to arrange some things you know maybe i would I, I have performed on keyboard but not really, you know what I mean? It's just the small, small, minimal parts. We had this really great acoustic wall piano in the house during that time. And, you know, it was just just play all the time, like trying new stuff, new shapes. And and some, you know, it's always like a a mixture of theory ideas that you're trying out, plus like what's happening naturally. And you have to like really toe the line. And I didn't have a formal jazz education back then. I was was studying classical music on Hmm. bass trombone. And so, you know, for instance, that that line's like bon gong gong Um, that was me just like kind of trying to imitate some like two five like natural yeah. like jazz two five one language. But I totally botched it. Like it's like usually that's not how it, I'm trying to think about how it goes, but it resolves. It sounds like a three six two five, 
but instead of 3651 it goes 3625 and then up a half step and it resolves which is kind of dope like i yeah. didn't know what i was doing it's actually dope it sounds killing it was just me trying to trying to make some stuff like use what i have you know it's interesting because i do feel like this although it is it's brass heavy but it also does have that kind of keyboard vamping kind of sound to it kind of going along uh-huh. this whole song feels like it's it's kind of these long broad chords and then you kind of compress it with these very quick little um melodies that are part of the theme that you come up with and it's this mm-hmm. back and forth it's this this wonderful like theme and variation that is going on there with you have your melody line that starts off with it and then it just seems like it expands but i i don't know i, I it's sad because i was just thinking i'm like geez i how long has it been since I've looked at like jazz theory and and how am I going to talk about this in a way that's that's going to well, um the, the hope know. is you know I don't know man I I finished the doctoral degree in Urbana Champagne and it was uh-huh. great and I wrote I wrote this like all of my I hate to say it but the most popular music I I wrote was stuff that I wrote before all of that hmm. I'm not saying that the, the degree didn't help me because it has and it's helped me my with my arranging chops and like all yeah. of these things and like I enjoy music and I'm able to do the work and, and be uh, versatile. The hope with this one is not about someone who is qualified to listen to it. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. My hope is it's someone who just likes music and yeah. can, you know, and it happens to be. And so like that was the whole thing. Like the guy who mixed it, this guy, Devon Harris, I just remember when he sat me down and I, and I appreciate this guy and I, I look up to him musically. He was like, yo, this is like some Gil Evans meets Jay Dilla vibes. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like you, you have all of this, this open, amazing arranging and, you know, these blossoming uh, sections and everything that, that have the, you know, lots of major seven, sharp 11 chords, all this stuff, but still regular people can just like groove with it. So that's the whole goal. The trick is how can you use that complexity for texture, but still make it approachable? In my opinion, a lot of the art that we love and know that like appeals to the masses has that. There's an entry level and then it just keeps going. And then the more you know, the the deeper your knowledge is, the more you like it scratches all the itches. You know, yeah. and that's that's my hope is I can make it the brainiest whatever critic can be like, oh man, he was doing a blah blah blah. Oh right. <laughs> and then they're like, but the person on the street, some like sixteen year old kid doesn't care about jazz. But like, you know, maybe likes brass instruments or likes like beats or something can also listen to it and be like, yo, this is dope. I like this. I don't know what's going on with all this other stuff, but like I can still sing it and I, I'm still digging it. It's still part of like a tapestry of my life, you know. I noticed that also Devon Harris was also did the keys on this as well. Uh, I don't yeah, know if yeah. it was, was it on this piece specifically or. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's playing keys on all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Where do you feel like this song draws inspiration or, or if you were to make a reference to another piece of music, uh, w- what would you equate this with? Or, oh. or what do you, what? <laughs> Yo, that's heavy. Um, I mean, you know, it's so funny. A lot of people have been noticing the whole album has like soul gospel undertones, mm. even though that last, the last, um, was it Jebish is like straight up like some Ken Vandermark mm. type vibe. That's a really tough question, man. I don't, I don't really yeah. know. It seems to draw upon some of those very strong gospel R&B traditions, but also kind of has, you know, blues and and rock some some of that sensibility in terms of just your rhythm section Mm -hmm. at the end of the song where there's that kind of drive at the end i mean uh what the what the bass guitar is doing almost makes me think like it's it's gonna break into a rock song a little bit um yeah that reminds me i forgot to put on my list i toured with the mountain goats as well growing up in 2004 like early college stuff I used to listen to a lot of indie rock music for sure. Mm. Like a lot of Death Cab and a, a lot of stuff adjacent to that. And and maybe some of those sensibilities are in there. I think the difference is there's still like the major seven sharp 11 chords. That's mm. not really like their vibe, you know? <laughs> but like having these sort of singable melodies in the sort of like emotional space in that way, in my mind, that's that's how I hear all those guys. Like the, oh man, the flaming lips. Yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yoshimi. I actually have another song that's like very... But yeah, that one uses uses some some of that like harmony, which is like really bright harmony and like taking the melody and it, like it's a singable melody over this 
these moving this moving harmony is grabbing some of the upper extensions and now that i'm thinking about it maybe some flaming lips might be in there huh. as far as the harmony goes you know um, I could see that. The thing that I noticed on a few of the songs is that you actually have a snare on the two and four, which you don't usually hear that typically in, in traditional jazz, you know? The, you know so. well, yeah, the, the, I guess the question is, is this a jazz song, though? Right. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know what I mean? To me, it's more of like a funk song. Like, like you yeah, know, think fair, about yeah. maybe like Parliament Funkadelic type, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is more like a sort of 70s, like, yeah. like if you check out something like Herbie Hancock from the 70s, especially uh, mid to late 70s. I was just listening to Roy Ayers recently, like it's kind of in that, especially the guys that I recorded with, like, you know, they're really steeped in that that type of vibe. And then I don't know, like, th- that's a really good question. I think that, you know, the, the whole thing about hmm. funk is, is it's it's like slowed down and sped up at the same time. Um, to where you have one, two, three, four, and jazz. I mean, jazz can be slow. Like you still have the can't catch you can't get one, two, three, four, can't You know what I mean? Still, and if it's faster, right? You know, it's faster. One, two, three, four, one. So I still believe two and four are really important in jazz as well. But this like funk is, you know, being a derivation of jazz. Everything is slowed down, so. But then you have like inside of that, because of that, you you get to double up a little bit on the inside Mm. too. It's almost like a drum and bass groove where like there's like a looping pop feel, but inside you have like, you know, those, those double, doubled up drum samples, you know? Um, So, you know, you still have the, the, like on the inside of there, there's still another like sub world of, of one, two, three, four. Right. I don't know. I, I would say, I think that's the question. That's the real question. Like I right. think people hear, and I, I like that. That's my, my whole thing is like trying to like find ways to like use all of the stuff that I I've been, that's been given to me, but, but make people trick people into like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what is yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of an arranger or composer, how did you bring this to? Can I refer to them as the band? The, your your instrumentalists, the people that played on this record. If I refer to oh, them yeah. as the band, is that all right? Just like, yeah. is that a fair oh, thing to fine. say? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the prototype band. How did you bring this piece specifically to them to kind of flesh it out and make it into the song that it is today? Man, so it's so funny. This whole album, this was all arranged. Everything was arranged in Sibelius. I brought okay. them. I brought them a score and parts. Okay. They're just that good. All right. <laughs> so I, you know, we did each song. We did maybe two or three takes tops. Every song you're hearing is a full take. No mixing and matching. Okay. Maybe to a click. I'm not sure if we played all of them to a click. Actually, the album is multi-tracked. So I did the rhythm section first. So bass, drums, p- piano. She, I think playing Rhodes the whole time, um, except for uh, Mysterious Hope of Glory. I recorded all the horns at my place, multi-tracked, with just different people hmm. um, <laughs> in a very unorthodox fashion. <laughs> First, we put electronic drums over it, but it just like wasn't like doing no. a fake logic drums, like a drummer program, and it just didn't sound good. So I got Devon to just track drums over top, under, well, underneath over top, I don't know. And that one actually started out with uh, the bass just by itself, and then I recorded all the horns to the, to, um, to the bass track. The thing about it is at the time specifically, like that was my community, you know, those were my, my homies. Uh, we had been through so much together over the years. Um, I didn't know Corey Fonville quite as much, but mm-hmm. he's around from around there and like he knew all the other cats. And so he, he brought me in, you know, right off the get. Like he was just like, yo, what's up? You know, he's getting off touring with Christian Scott and all these famous people. Mm-hmm. Then he comes and hang, hangs out and, and like he's always made me feel like one of the homies, which is makes me, which is awesome, you know? And they had played a lot of the stuff before because we played gigs before. So it okay. was it was really easy to just, make it happen you know these these are all folks that you're used to like playing with and you've you've had a long history with for the most part yeah um, yeah yeah just about everybody i mean that's why i got these people you yeah know, you just you kind of pick pick all the people that you you can hear in the part you know the horn players are bone players from no bs brass and you know uh one of the guys carl lyden i played with him in the disney band for a summer ben ford i, I had been at graduate school with him he's currently he's playing lead on the whole thing 
he is currently in the Navy Commodores right now. I try to think of at least with like an arranger and if you you have the ability to pick out the particular people that will perform this and, and play it out. I, I almost feel like when you pick a, a certain player and the instrument that they use, because all instruments, whether they're made consistently, all have their own particular tone and sound and... Um, I, I almost and everyone fe- has their own tone as yes. well. Well, that's what I was especially thinking. on trombone. That's a you know. I almost think of like as you pick pick those out. It's like you've kind of already kind of picked the color to a certain extent with with what you've written. Yeah. But you, it's like you're picking the paintbrush with them when yeah. you're painting the picture. And so, like, how do you how do you think about what like from an arranging standpoint or or even just a writing standpoint, like. Oh yeah, I want you to be doing this this tessitura of your your range, or do you even do that, or is it just like oh absolutely hops yo, okay yo that's it man look I mean a lot of this stuff it's so funny because I I have this stuff on sale on my website mm-hmm. and man some of it I mean Ben Ford is just the nastiest lead player alive like just straight up <laughs> number one <laughs> number one I've I just know him and so over the years. I've been writing for him for a while, even before then. And so I would just bring him stuff that was like a little too high for him. And he's funny because he's like the, he's, he's like the, the biggest heart when he gets like frustrated, he, he's like kind of like curmudgeon but then, but really he's like, you know, he's kind of playing around. So like I bring him stuff and he'd be like, Oh, and then I'm like, all right, man, I guess I'll just go home and change it, man. If you can't play it. And then he'd be like, no, 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 I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it. And then he would just work it out and just rip it, you know? And uh-huh. so if you, you look at the beginning to you go to my head, that stuff up there is just like impossible. If you look at man, starting now, some people thought I like shifted it all up an octave. It's not, man. It's really? like he's playing okay. like trumpet range on the tenor trombone, and it's it come it has oh. this amazing, really cool sound. And also, he kind of retired a horn. He had this vintage uh, King Silver Sonic. He had played so much his um his like natural oils and and, and acids in his hand just like ate through yeah. the slide. I had him bring him for that for that album. I don't even know if he's played it since really. It's like huh. my favorite horn that he sounds good, which is weird because like people say that to me on um, certain horns that I play and they're, you know, and I, I get all like mad about it. The way the trombones sound in that register, it's there's something really amazing about it, the way it blossoms and all of that stuff. And and yeah, like I know the people, I, when, even now when, when I'm hiring or I, I'm calling people to do certain things, I'm working on a flugabone bass trumpet uh, brass band album called Bone Apple Tea, and I just know who's got the chops to do this. I know, I mean, just just because you're playing third or fourth um, doesn't mean that you're like not a good. I know who has like the the deep chops to to be able to blend with me. I'm usually on the bottom because that's like my specialty and all of that stuff. And you you know you think about the balance of of all the people, and that's not new. You know, um, Duke Ellington wrote for the people. He hired he he wrote to everyone's strengths and that's why he you know he was such a great composer and that's why a lot of his music is just in, inimitable you know is there kind of an equivalent of of the stradivarius violins in kind of the brass world it's really interesting um there's a what is it the um reynolds contempora it which which is you know some people want to say it's apparently there's this old uh bass trombone which was a double valve bass trombone that well, it was the first double valve bass trombone. I can't think of the model number, but uh, they want to say that the Reynolds Contemporary is the first double valve modern bass trombone. You know, like if I got a chance, or like the uh, Con seventy two H from from a certain era, uh, which was this guy George Roberts, the horn uh, that he used, and it has a certain sound to it. So yes and no. I like, okay. you know, Stradivarius. Like technically, they get better with age. I'm not sh- like the whole thing about brass instruments is I, they can they can get better with age because you know the more you play the instrument the more oh. it kind of settles into itself and into that person gotcha. some people just want something brand spanking new you know some people like older horns and it's just like anything like old horn you you kind of have to tell it what to do but you get to tell it what to do a new horn is going to be efficient and some people feel like that efficiency allows you to get closer to your your sound so it just depends on hmm. who you are. What brought you into playing the the bass trombone? Like what what were you like? Yes, this is the instrument for me. Uh, 
it's so interesting my um high school band director he heard me play trombone eighth grade i auditioned for him and he right off was like you're gonna play bass trombone so okay. he gave me the bass trombone next year in high school and you know i that's just what i played and it became part of my voice and i started improvising and then i went to college and playing and it just was what I did. And, you know, I remember in undergrad for a long time, I was just like the only cat. And I think I really liked mm. being like, you know, the only cat, like kind of top dog on this instrument or whatever. Yeah. I liked the uniqueness of having an instrument that like being able to like be a voice on an instrument that not that many people have like championed or whatever in that right. way in a non-utilitarian sense. Yeah, because it's not like, it doesn't, doesn't sound like a euphonium. It doesn't sound like a baritone. It doesn't sound like a tuba. I mean, it's it's just it it's like that one. There's there's a few brass instruments that are within that range, but nothing really has that kind of sound. And that's you in in this song, doing doing the bass kind of solo, so to speak. In, in yeah, like yeah. I think that's like in the third section or whatever. And it's just that yeah. wah, you know, kind of sound to it. Yeah, very rich, but also like kind of throaty and gutsy, like. It has such a unique voice in a way and and it yeah. uh, it stands out you know but that's yeah. cool yeah i love it i'm um, thank you i thank you thank you i appreciate that well you know it's one of those things i was telling someone they were like why though why though i'm like hey you know like you don't get to choose you know i mean i guess i could have chosen something else mm. but like if you are something not typical that does something that wants to do something that's not typical for what you are you don't have any choice but to be who you are yeah but that's like me kind of beating around the bush about it yeah, but, so, <laughs> but you know yeah. what i'm trying to say yeah. it's just like do you see it as like this instrument is you like yeah it's that's very how much I your this personality is one that right? i play yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like this is the one that i play and so like and i like i happen to be one of want to be expressive also yeah <laughs> and yeah. i want to be an artist and so i, I could switched in instruments but then that would take me back like 20 years and you know i mean maybe not I, I i have been playing a lot of tuba recently since moving to new york like about two years now which is crazy to think about it. mm. it's been that long which isn't a short time but still i mean it wasn't, isn't a long time but still in that time like I, I basically like taught myself how to play at a professional level then i went on tour with this lucky chops band and and now there's there's a semi-viral video out of me like playing a solo <laughs> that people are like copying and stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? And so nice. so yeah, like there's I guess there's a voice there too, you know. You know, I, I definitely chalk that up to being able to uh to do all of that on the bass trombone and really understand how how to move and groove in the, in that that register. COVID nineteen got you down. You looking for some music, some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. So... You were in the Champaign-Urbana music scene. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the Champaign-Urbana music scene for a while. Okay, yeah, um, that's what I was. I was wondering for. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do you have a particular like favorite venue that you played at, or that's really tough one? You know, because I've have I have a lot of really great experiences with with all the stuff. You know, um, that's really. I mean, the Iron Post. It has uh-huh. to be like the top one, but you know it. Like, for one, it was fun, like, cutting my teeth on some jazz standards, and it was, you know, a lot of great, like, just great 
experiences there and yeah. and just really digging into all of that stuff you know they also let me play a lot of my original music there and you know and there were times where there are lots of people coming out to like check out the pressure fit stuff it meant a lot that they were open to that and like and willing and, and wanting more of that you know that's kind of the low-hanging fruit for a jazz musician to say that about urbana champagne though <laughs> you know? right um, right the high dive was cool there were some there were some good shows at the high dive for sure and and I think for the most part, I, I went to the high dive, you know, for like Pygmalion and and some of the yeah, this one's a like Pygmalion and and cover ups. Those were the, yeah, but cover ups were really cool because I, I like got to meet a lot of different musicians. They went at horns, you know, and so right. like I did arrangements for for you know, um, I'm drawn blank. Was it uh, We the Animals? Is that one of them? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, what's the gu- guitar player? He's now like a city councilman. Uh, Mike Ingram. Mike Ingram. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doing some stuff with him with the Dirty Feathers. Definitely with Elsinore. We did. I did a bunch of those with Elsinore. The thing about it is like jazz school was fun for me, but the town that I came from, like you know, it was about creativity. Like we, you know, even as horn players, we saw ourselves as, as indie rock musicians. You know, I'm on a Megaphone album, and I got a chance to play with Justin Vernon and Bon Iver and and guys from the national and all of these, you know, all these guys, just different sensibilities and, and different value systems as far as like what music could be and what, like who we're playing for and why we're playing it, you know, which yeah. is not, I'm not trying to poo poo jazz or like power jazz or any uh-huh. of that stuff. That stuff is killing. Um, you know what I mean? I love it. And definitely like want to be a part of it. I always feel super guilty when I'm, not able to hang on some crazy bebop tune or whatever mm. and like ah you know <laughs> like okay yeah. whatever i mean high dive is in there i mean cowboy monkey i never had any personal experiences at cowboy monkey i've always played in other people's groups at cowboy monkey definitely had experiences going to see certain bands there so cowboy monkey is is up there I'm basically, I guess I'm just naming all the ones in yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. I guess Iron Post might might be the top one. But the other ones are just important, you know? Yeah. Now you've been in New York for two years, and you've also been with, well, national acts that have probably toured around. How do you feel it compares to, like, the Champaign-Urbana music scene? Man, I uh, how does it compare? I mean, the jazz scene in Urbana-Champaign is pretty amazing. You know what mm. I mean? And I can't compare it to New York, you know? I mean, there are things that it does have that New York doesn't. Uh-huh. Urbana-Champaign does have a great jazz scene. And I guess you could compare it to New York in the sense that there's some people who've been there and, and all different types of facets of jazz that play at the, at the Iron Post regularly. Mm. One thing that I struggle with in New York, and, I, you know, I've only been here for two, I've only seen, like, a percentage of the music scene at large here. You know right. what I mean? It's that big. Even brass musicians, jazz musicians, there's so many that I meet that I just never even knew about. And I'm like, wow, I didn't, you right. were amazing and I didn't know you existed. You know, I think it's hard to find bands in New York just because unless you have some type of other income that doesn't take up all your time it's impossible logistics it's just impossible to do anything you know what i mean and mm-hmm. most people who are, are making music for a living here they have to worry about the bottom line even if you are a band on your way to like getting to the point to where you don't have to like do the hustle and you can just go on tour and then come back home and chill you have to do the hustle you know all the bands i know who are doing that like they did the hustle weddings right and, corporate events and all of this stuff. And they've also gone through a a lot of different personnel changes on the way there. And that's the thing. It's like personnel are so transient in New York because everybody has to think about their bottom line and has to think about like what is going to be the best thing for them coming up next. And so say someone's there for a while, they might have a better gig on their radar where they don't have to like schlep so hard in order to make their living. The next thing you know, they're, they're, they're doing this other thing, you know? That's the cool thing about Urbana Champagne is the whole idea of bands and the whole, whole idea of an identity. And like, I remember seeing a Dirty Feathers show at a house. It was just the nastiest, oh, amazing. Like, like, you can't pretend that. Just like, the groove was so saggy and like, yo, it was so killing. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just so good. And these guys grew up together and they like, they know each other's blah blah blah. They remember this person's first girlfriend. They remember when that person got too drunk and did mm. something embarrassing. They remember when this pers- other person, like you know, achieved a certain dream. Like you know, you can s- all of that stuff. Like 
you know, emanates that, that collective experience just emanates from that. And so they don't have to be playing anything crazy or fast or high or loud or complex or like whatever, just the prov- hmm. profundity of, of their like a collective existence is just good enough coming through the music, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something in my experience and I, and I'm, I know I'm wrong, but it's, it's hard to find that, everywhere i i feel like i'm preaching to the choir but i do find that champagne urbana manages to be this very unique community that tends to be up for anything and everything kind of sound and music and i i just i i just can't say enough about how much i <laughs> i just love this community i wonder do you miss the champagne urbana music scene or oh yeah yeah there's there's a certain side of that it's so funny ever since this quarantine i've been getting back into that i moved here and then it was just everyone was trying me out like you know give giving me chances give me chances it was great Mm -hmm. met a lot of people did a lot of cool things but you know over time you start to like develop your home team you know and so you know i've been putting together the pressure fit band has been really awesome and like really collecting a specific amount of people the same people like a reoccurring and developing a community in that way that that has been pretty cool to finally get to a point where like now we can like start to create something that's not just you know flash like quick like like episodic type thing so yeah like i i do miss not having to chase a dollar just to be able to have enough space in my life to be able to Mm. create something new that may or may not be commercially viable I want to be able to create music that is personal. I want it to be commercially viable, but I don't want to, while I'm creating it, I don't want to have to worry about whether it's commercially viable or not. Places like Richmond and all of these places, like that's what they kind of have over in New York. Cheap rent. This gig's not going to pay you much anyways. We're here yeah. to like enjoy ourselves and, and be part of this thing. And we're going to play from our hearts. That's just what it is. Here it goes. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? You can't do that here, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're not even going to get a gig. You can't even get, or you're going to get a gig where it's going to turn out that you like ended up paying to play. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, and that they <laughs> exist. Those places exist where like at the end of the night, well, there weren't enough people in here. Either you're getting zero or like, Hey man, you got to pay the, the blah, blah, blah. Like they'll take however much off the top before you even get yours. Jeez. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. just for fees and stuff. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. But, but for some people that works, like if you have like some type of expendable income, you can afford that, then you can do that a bunch until, until your, your tables turn, until your tie turns, you know, that's the, that's the thing is just the, the bottom line and um, economics and, and capitalism and everything like is all just in the cauldron of the arts in this city. But I mean, that's just, what it is at, at large in the world. Like if you want to go somewhere and you want, you know, at some point you're going to get to that point. It's just what it is. I don't know. Is there, is there any band that you know of or knew of in the Champagne Urbana music scene that like really still captures your fancy or like you really enjoy listening to, or you, you say, gosh, oh. I really can't wait to hear something from them new. And, well, you know, I mean, there's always, there's Elsinore, there's um you know i still keep up with james a lot mm, like he's actually yeah. I, he's he's uh co-mixing an album that i'm working on the the emily blue stuff she's moved to chicago so it's technically she's chicago same thing with melvin knight he was a pressure fit guy for a while he's moved to chicago which i'm, I'm happy he seems like he's thriving there you know a lot of that community has uh, has kind of moved on and so, I mean, that's the other side of Urbana Champagne is it's a transient community. Man, I loved playing with Rebecca Rigo. I, like, we learned so much from each other. And those were really good days being able to figure out how to play behind a highly sensitive vocalist in that way. She's moved too, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. A Absolutely. lot of people have moved. It's been a pleasure to see people that in some ways kind of cut their teeth on the champagne urbana music scene and then kind of go somewhere else and like take what they've learned and like the context that they've made and people that they've met and like turned it into something really amazing i mean you're in new york but you're still corresponding with james streichler and you're even working on projects together and i just i I, that's just it's cool i love that i love that like the influences is kind of far reaching you know i know people usually say the yard in a different way you know what i mean but it's kind Mm. of it's the yard you know what i mean it's uh i think about you growing up and with me and my uh, cousins and 
and the um the kids in the neighborhood we used to just go like play in the woods or like mm. or just like whatever like we just went outside and played and did random stuff and thought of stuff and there were always like different like roles that everybody played and like the leader or like the blah 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 or like you know whatever you know and and then just thinking about how real life is is like a uh macrocosm of that cu was definitely that you know it's yeah. just everybody there's there's nothing to lose you know here like we'll play a free gig it's just what it is we want to make some money but even the m- amount of money when what it felt like we were making some money like in the grand scheme of things it wasn't that much money <laughs> right right <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like it but everybody was just trying stuff you know and and yeah. connecting and, and doing all of this stuff and then you had a, a willing audience of fans like non-musician fans and and colleagues alike that were there rooting you on even when you were sucking you know what I mean? just <laughs> sucking just not doing good yeah <laughs> but then you try it out and then next thing you know you have like you have a thing you know yeah and it's it's cool it's really cool even in the midst of the current shelter in place order the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged, home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Reginald, what is your favorite non-musical thing? My favorite non-musical thing is my wife. She pulls me into all the non-music. That's the only superpower in the world that can pull me out of the the musical days. <laughs> so, <laughs> Otherwise, I think I would just be like a person in rags, just trying to make music like twenty four seven. How did you meet your wife? Oh, met in Richmond, Virginia. She uh, was roommates with uh, one of my best friends from there. And uh, I think she had seen me play at an OBS show, which is kind of interesting. That is, still ties in the music. But yeah. well, you know, hey, but yeah. you you met. How was the first date? Do you remember your first, first date? date? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was it was great. It was it was really good. Like I think um, you know, it's it was refreshing to you know spend time with someone where like the the musical common ground wasn't quite there and so like i had to to really think about other things to connect with you know which is which is awesome and and really fulfilling you know awesome yeah so how long have you been married we've been together for about four or five years now and we've been married for coming up on a year and how how was the proposal done I'm. I'm just. Oh, it, it could be Urbana Champagne. Awesome. And uh, I was leaving to go to do a residency. Uh, like I was going to fly out that morning, and we were going to meet up and go to the Grand Canyon afterwards, which was really cool. I was going to do it there, but then I I didn't want to do it there. I just wanted to get it over with. So I used this letter board that we had, like one of those hipstery ones. Uh huh. I wrote like "Marry Me?" question mark on there, and then I like woke her up and had her come out. And like she read the letter for it, and I gave her the ring. And, you know, it was cool. It was awesome. Cool. We have a video too. I'll oh, really? Look at the video. The video <laughs> somewhere. Awesome. You know, I I feel like if I tried to do that as a proposal, it, it would be like I I put it up on the letter board, and and they would they would get up and not be wearing their glasses or something and couldn't read it. And I'd be like, hey, can can you just look over at the, the, the board over there? I mean, that that kind of was the scene, though. That definitely was the scene. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, was a, it, wasn't per, it wasn't like a perfect like oh. thing, but whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, usually like the most imperfect things that we do on a romantic level, I feel like make really great stories in the future, right? So, oh, yeah. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. Awesome. Reginald, thank you for taking the time to talk with me and tell me all about your album prototype and uh, your song hoodie and 
uh, music theory and, and the Champaign-Urbana music scene and like my mind is spinning and, and I, I'm super excited to have met you this way and talk to you and I really look forward to hearing this new album that you're working on and I, I just really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Dude, thank you, man. I mean, especially with the, in these times, as everyone says now, it's, it's nice to be able to connect with people and, you know, get the word out there. And then it's, it's also nice to take the time to hash out some of these things just to like, to be grateful. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's especially we live in Brooklyn. I mean, we've been walking around a little bit more, but it's still pretty confining. And so it's, yeah. it's easy to just get dark. And so taking the time to like, to to be appreciated which i appreciate you appreciating me and then also like you know coming thinking about all of the good the good things you know in the past and, and yeah. now and in the future is is really helpful thank you for listening to champagne is also a band podcast this is reginald chapman reminding you Great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs>